This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here, and welcome to the Alpaca Tribe, the podcast for alpaca people wherever you are. This episode is part two of my conversation with Marty McGee-Bennett of Camelid Dynamics. If you haven't listened to part one at least twice, you should stop what you're doing and go back and catch up on Marty's early days of llamas, searching for a better way forward with animals, and finding someone to teach her, Linda Tellington-Jones, who at this time of recording is now 83 and based in Edmonton, Canada, and still involved in teaching. Details in the show notes. There are some amazing people who connect with animals, with gentleness and clarity, and as Marty mentions in this episode, if someone is in a catch pen with an alpaca, they already have a teacher. The alpaca will teach them. I hope you enjoy the conversation and feel inspired to learn more so you can do better. Always learning. It's how we live. Here we go with part two. So international, not just in in the US, but but very much international, certainly to the UK, because that's where I met you. Um, Very hands-on and where people are and where their animals are. So how have you actually been therefore adjusting to the the whole kind of thing with the pandemic and, and when you've not been able to travel? Because I, I know traveling can be just, if you're doing a lot of it, it's just very tiring. But at the same time, that meeting the new people, seeing the new situations and being able to teach people as you do, then that, that must be very satisfying. But you've just not been able to do it. So what have you been doing? Well, it's interesting because for about the last three years on the road, I have, um, I have, a, uh, I got a new puppy. He'll be three in December, and I, I've just fallen in love with this dog, and I hated leaving him, and I, and I've been threatening to take a year off for a long time, and I'm really sorry that the rest of the world had to take this year off with me. <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but um, I don't think we can blame you. But okay. <laughs> I really, um, it was well timed because I really needed a break. I really, I really mm. needed a break. And, uh, and now that I've had one, I'm chomping at the bit to get back at it. But in the meantime, I do have, uh, you know, I think, you know, I wanted to join the, the new information age. And so I did a couple of online courses. Um, I have two of those completed and I have plans for three more, um, online courses and, right. um, and I'm doing zoom sessions now with people, which I'm really quite enjoying. So, so the, the Zoom sessions are like clinics? The, the Zoom session is um, 15 minutes with a person that wants one. And I, the, I, the way that I have been talking about it is that the training doctor is in. And so somebody signs up for a Zoom session and they can really tell me what they want. I've done just ha- having discussions with people about questions, answering questions. I haven't had somebody take their like their phone and walk me around there their farm yet, but I could do that. And then the other thing is people can take a series of videos of themselves working with animals and we can do a shared screen. I can pause it and say, okay, 
The reason that your animal is not doing what you want in this moment is because of what you're doing. And then they can look at it. And that's actually as or more uh, valuable for one-on-one training than what I can do at a, a clinic with a whole bunch of people. And because when, when somebody's in the pen with an animal, they already have a teacher. The animal is their teacher. And if I am standing there, people will want me to sort of be like a GPS. They'll want me to talk them through it step by step by step. But the problem is, if I say, okay, you know, you're standing in the slightly wrong spot, which is why your animal isn't taking the escape route. By the time they hear that piece of advice, process it, and then look at it, the animal's already moved. And and what I've just said is largely irrelevant. But with a video, it's perfect. Because I can pause it and say, look, look at where you are versus where your animal is. Look at how much tension you have in the lead rope. Look at how much tension you have in the catch rope. Look at, it's just, it's a really valuable teaching tool. Yeah. I remember at the, at the end of the, of the course and the kind of the, the final wash-up session on the four-day course with you, I asked the question and said, okay, we've learned all of this stuff. What do we do with it? What's the best way of taking ourselves further forward with this? We've got the information. We've got the knowledge and experience we've had. How do we develop? And your answer was video yourself. Absolutely. You can then play it back. Then you can watch yourself and you can see what it is that you're doing or not doing, which is just such a valuable to, hey, most of us have got a camera. That's right. You know the camera's there, but also, but also, it'll do video. So it's relatively simple to to get it set up to be able to to record yourself. It is helpful to record yourself and look at what you're doing, but to have to have a coach look yeah. at it and and pause it and say, you know, there's just nuances I see immediately that people will miss. Oh yeah, must be, must be, and that's one of my challenges of, of thinking. You know, what are we doing at the moment? Well, how do we get access? to Marty because we can't. Well, you can because there's the access to the to the online courses and, and these sessions. But the books and the videos can give you some information, can take you so far. But there's something about having, what is that? Is it a tutor, mentor, something, coach that's going to be alongside you and say, no, just lift your hand a bit higher. That's it. That's it. And then getting that balance there that that isn't just the practical knowledge, but it's the it's the the skill or the art of the thing. It's not just the the information we need. We need to be able to apply it in the appropriate way as well. Yep. So. Yep. And balance. Uh, you know, mm. when I'm teaching a clinic, the first time that I use balance is probably in the first twenty minutes that I'm talking, and I warn people that in the rest of the two or three or four days that they're going to be with me, they're going to hear me harp on balance hundreds of times. Mm. Balance is the key to everything working with animals. Dogs, veterinarians need to know about it. Riders need to know about it. An animal that is standing in their natural balance is an animal who you have the best shot that they feel safe and that they're able to think. If they're out of balance physically, they're not in balance mentally, they're not in balance emotionally, and it makes it harder to work with them. And teaching somebody the lightness that is required to help an animal find their balance and to keep it the secret to it all. And it is the most elusive thing to get. Once you get it, you've got it from that point on, but finding it is, is hard. Takes, takes commitment. Yeah, it does. It does indeed. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, you get started and and you've got to keep going with it and keep working 
Each animal is dif- different and individual, but the principles will still work. They can still be applied in a variety of ways and levels, which you can work with any animal, I think. Yeah. Uh, but some will need more work. Yeah. But but the other the other part of this that's really uh, the part that really hooked me in and, and hooks a lot of people in is that when I go to a clinic and I'm teaching, I've never seen these animals before in my life. I don't go out there at night before the clinic starts and work with them all. <laughs> and people are, I think the reason I'm still doing this 40 years later is that they are absolutely amazed that I can walk into a pen with an animal that I've never met before and get them to trust me quicker than they would the person they're living with for maybe 10 years. And the reason is everything that I do shows them very quickly that they can feel safe with me. And it's like a drug for me. I, I, I just hmm. love being able to go in and see the, it's almost a confused look on their face. Like, you're kidding me, really? I can do this? And, uh, and they, sometimes... You speak the language. Exactly. And sometimes the animals that are the most difficult, the ones that fight the hardest and the ones that, are, that have been brought to a clinic or described to me as being the most intractable, the most difficult animals, as soon as you can show them that it's that the environment that they're in is safe, they change like you just flipped a light switch. It's remarkable. No, it is. I would highly recommend anybody to get access to you wherever wherever you end up in the world. Um, <laughs> I know I know you get I know you get booked up uh, with, with at the clinics and the things the places you go, but it is definitely worth hunting you out and finding when you're next going to be available. Now I know we've got a slight difficult situation at the moment because of the, the pandemic. But as things open up and as things change, hopefully next year, we'll be able to start traveling and doing things again, uh, much, much more so. So do do look out the opportunities. Um, I was thinking about new owners or people who are less experienced with their animals. We talked about some of the principles and the pillars. Where, where would you start as a new owner? What's, what's the what are the things that you would need to have in order to do work with the animals? And also what would be the first things you think would be good for people to be thinking about doing uh, before they come on the course? This is the problem. The the detailed information you get from the course and, and understanding uh, exactly what's involved, but there are other things that people can be doing to move to, to a more positive position at least. Well, I think that the book that I wrote it's, uh, it's coming on 20 years now. The book that I wrote 20 years ago is called The Camelid Companion, and it's 400 pages. It was like my opus when I wrote it. And I think that's a good place to start because it will it describes the shift that has to happen in your thinking about safety and, and you know, setup and how do you create this safe space that you can bring your animal into? So I think the, the camel and companion is always a really good place to start. I love it when people come to clinics. I do usually on a, in a normal year, I would do somewhere between 10 and 12 clinics a year or, you know, sometimes a few less, but, um, and people generally, when I do a clinic, I have about 50% of the people that are coming from, a, from driving distance and about 50% of the people fly in. Um, hmm. I have been very impressed with people who have come to clinics having taken the online courses. The, the online courses um, are are video lessons, and it's it's kind of like coming to a clinic, only you don't get the hands-on part of it. 
Um, so mm. I've been very impressed with with how well people do the work at a clinic when they uh, when they go in with the animals, and I can watch them having taken an online course. So I feel very I feel very good about that. Um, and then uh, I have people that have studied with me for a long time. They're called Camelot Dynamics Consultants. And um, I have other people that have been studying with me for quite a long time and teach workshops that include Camelot Dynamics as part of what they teach. So there are a lot of uh, a lot of ways to get, you know, to get the information. So, so in pra- practical terms, um, you talk about a catch pen. So we, we're talking about hurdles, which are not sheep hurdles because they're too small, too, too low, but creating a catch pen and um, being able to work with the animal in a, in a smaller but but a, a safe space. Yeah, now my, my favorite size is nine feet. I'm not sure what that is in meters, um, but nine feet square, five feet high. That's, that's like the gold standard. But when I go to do clinics, I might be in something that's eight by eight, which is another common size pen. Uh, 10 by mm. 10, I work in a 10 by 10 pen. It's, it's the, the, the nine foot is like a Goldilocks, you know, it's just right. And it also is just right for both llamas and alpacas. The other thing that's important once you have a catch pen is being able to reasonably get your animal into it without having to create a drama about that. So a a small sort of adjacent small paddock that you get your animals into first and then from there into the catch pen is usually the best system. And that is absolutely key. You cannot do what I teach unless you have a safe, small area to work in and you can get your animal into it without scaring the bejesus out of them. The tools, the the tool, the wand and the rope, which is the wand is about four feet long and it has a little clip on the end of it and I can push a rope into it. And I use that as a way of being able to connect with the animal without having to trap them in a corner. I use that wand and rope as a way of allowing the animal to move within the confines of the pen and to get uh, a rope around their neck so I can use it for balance, all without ever getting within arm's length, because that would scare them. And the idea is that I want to make a connection with them that doesn't scare them to start with. And what a lot of people do is that, you know, they, or they think, they, they get their arms around the animal and they, if it's a small animal, say a, a weanling, or they hold them until the animal stops struggling. And they think that that's a good thing. You know, well now, he must trust me. That 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 isn't in my experience. That's not what's happening. The animal has now given up, and giving up is a, is not the space that I want to be in with an animal. I want an animal to want to be there. I want them to feel comfortable with me. I don't want. And, and the other part about giving up is that their brain is not working anymore, and they have such good brains, and it's so much easier to work with them when they're thinking, not when they're just you know, Ugh, go ahead. Do it, get it over with. I don't, I don't like that dynamic. And obviously, being able to move them, a group of animals, to a place, getting them into the smaller space, the smaller space, and into the catch pen. The setup of the farm makes a difference, and exactly where the fences and gates are, and you can make <laughs> make your life much more complicated than it needs to be. But with a bit of thought, you can actually get things in the right place, which which will allow for a normal kind of flow of the animals from a, a larger space without them getting panicked. Absolutely. When you're talking behavior and behavioral science, that setup is called the antecedent arrangement. And what you want to have is an antecedent arrangement that suggests to the animal exactly what you want them to do 
And it's interesting, the criticism of Kamala Dynamics that makes me the most crazy is when people say, well, that stuff is good if you have, you know, a few animals, but if you have, you know, a hundred animals, you can't do what Marty teaches. Actually, the more animals that you have, the more you need what I teach, because you can't manhandle and subdue a hundred animals. You can't uh, train each one of them with a clicker. You have to learn to be a really good, efficient handler. And that is really what I teach. You own the skills. And if you learn what I teach, then every single alpaca and llama in the universe just got a whole lot easier to handle because you know it. Yeah. 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 And, and as you saying earlier, they, they recognize very quickly. They do. Talk their language in a sense. Um, they, they, they do register that and... Uh, so <laughs> there's the odd one that will react not so positively towards that. I, I went to see someone who was having trouble um, and wanted some help with some shearing. And I and said, I'd go across and just have a, have a look and see whether I could help. And uh, this male male alpaca saw me from a distance and he, he immediately stood up differently and he started spitting from a distance. <laughs> and he, oh, he, he never he never does this normally. Uh, no, no, he's just picked up the fact that I, I'm a challenge to his alpha male status and I can speak his language. <laughs> and it was, and he was a nightmare to share. And yeah, but that was... Some, some, it could have, it could have been that this animal had some past history that when reinforcements show up, bad things happen. Yeah. And so he was behaving preemptively. There there was that, but it was also a male and a female with, with Korea and they'd been left together and, and his behavior had become very protective. Yeah. Um, and, and he'd been become very difficult. So, but, uh, yeah, but there's, there's always steps that you can make to, to improve the situation wherever you're starting, I think. Um, but but sometimes there are history experiences which which do make things much more difficult. Yeah, and again, what I have learned in my studies of behavioral science is that um, past conditions are important, but the most in the most important and the uh, the most uh, pointed indicator or uh, influence on behavior is current conditions. Current conditions right. are what are what influence behavior the most. So it's important. I mean, sometimes we don't know what's, what has happened to animals in the past. They bring to the table a lot of experiences that we're not privy to. So it doesn't do any good to try to imagine or make up stories or anything else. You just start from right now and go forward. And it's it's. I think animals actually are a lot more open minded and will let go of of their past. Uh, coping mechanisms than human beings, actually. No, it's really, really helpful. So are there any other areas that we haven't touched on that you think would be helpful for people to know about? Well, I would just say that in the last, I, I have a degree in animal behavior. Um, I studied it in college, and but that was back in the 70s. And behavior was in the Stone Age back then. I was kind of, when I met Linda Tellington Jones, I said, boy, this makes a whole lot more sense to me than all that stuff that I learned in school. And then I met a behavioral veterinarian. She came to a clinic, actually, and she and I got to be very good friends. And she reintroduced me to the science as it had evolved in those 25 years to see how it impacts my dog and my relationship with other people, my husband. I understand myself better. It's, it's, it's just it, it makes life so much more multidimensional, I guess. 
That's a basic life skill that we all should have. Yeah, I it. think so. Yeah. So one of my one of my mentors is um, a woman by the name of Susan Friedman, Doctor Susan Friedman. She is uh, she lives in Utah and works for Utah State University or the University of Utah. I'm not sure. Anyway, she uh, she teaches classes around the world. She's uh, a world class teacher, one of the most amazing teachers in my life. Uh, in addition to Linda Tellington Jones. And so I would just suggest that if anybody has an opportunity to see Dr. Susan Friedman, uh, that they should take advantage of that. Her work is just remarkable and has really colored how I do everything. Yeah. No, a good foundation and then build on it. But that foundation makes such a difference in terms of the direction you're facing in and the the, the way you can move forward. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well put. So we, we got we got the book. Is the Is the video still available? I have seven videos, I think it is, DVDs now. DVDs. Oh, of course, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Shows how long ago it was when I bought it. Um, I'm pretty sure, yes, I'm pretty sure it was the video rather than the, the DVD, but there we are. Oh, wow, that, but, would, uh, that would be a while ago. There, yeah, We don't make videos nice. anymore. We only have no, DVDs. No. <laughs> um, and, I, and at some stage, I'll get smart about downloads, but right now you got to get the DVD yeah. and it's on a, on a, on a disc. Um, right. But, and I have I have one on packing. I have one on alpaca training. I have one on wool. I have one um, on herd management. I have another one called Camelot Handling Secrets. All of those things are on my website. The videos, you know, the videos. I've been making the videos for a long time. I've been at this 30, 35 years in terms of of actually teaching. And so you'll see me looking way young. And uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't. And, and so the most relevant current information that I teach is, is now in the online courses. That doesn't mean that the videos are are, are not worth seeing, but I, I would steer people to the most current information now. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about the online courses is that once you once you buy them, they're yours forever. They don't ever run out. Yeah. That's always, always useful. Yeah. Excellent. So it so says. The, the website, where are we gonna, people going to find you? Camelandynamics.com. Oh, that's so complicated. Yes. <laughs> now, the only, the only trick with that is that Camelid and then the Dynamics runs off from that. Is that it's, right? It's so, a made-up word. It's, it's one word. I made it up. And actually, I made it up when I was writing the Camelid Companion. I was thinking, yeah, you know, these. I, I came up with these rules, like it's just the way things are. You know, if you chase an animal – they're going to run away from you. And, and I called those the laws of, I, I remember thinking about it. It's like, you know, thermodynamics, the laws of thermodynamics. Yeah. And then I said, oh, yeah, yeah, camelodynamics. That's how I can, what I can call them, the laws of camelodynamics. And then I, that became my business name. But, but there's only one D in the middle. Yes, it's one word, camelodynamics. Yeah, so there you go. So people can find that. The, the details will be in the show notes and on the website, but we'll... we'll just to make people aware that they can, when they go looking, that's how they can find you. Uh, then there's the access to the, on the website, there's access for the, the courses and details of, of future clinics. Should they become available? Yes. And actually I do have- The ones that are set up. I do have four scheduled. I have one in uh, North yeah. Carolina, one in Santa Fe, New Mexico, my old stomping grounds where I used to live. Uh, and then one in England. And I, um, I canceled without rescheduling one in Sweden and one in Denmark and where we're in discussion right now about when to reschedule those. So I'll be back in Europe um, when it opens up for me. Sure. And do you ever get to Australia or? Uh, I was in Australia a few years ago 
And I, I always want to go back to Australia and I love Australia and New Zealand. And, um, yeah, yeah. I have thoroughly enjoyed my world travels and I'm always ready for an adventure. Yeah. And made lots of friends in the process. I know. Yeah. So you're, you're held in, in high esteem all around the world, which is just an amazing thing. But, uh, well, thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for, for all the, the information. And all the details will be in the show notes. And if you'd like to make contact, there'll be details there too. So thank you for today. We'll we'll call it a... I'm not quite sure how we're going to put all of this in one episode. So we might end up with two episodes. We shall see. <laughs> and if there are particular things, then we may be able to... Uh, you never know. We might be able to persuade Marty to come back again. I'd love to. One of the things I like to say is I'm happiest when my lips are moving. <laughs> well, we love hearing what you've got to say. So that's a, a good combination. Excellent. So thank you very much. And we'll see you again soon. Okay. Bye for now. Bye-bye. So glad you could join me on this journey. Wow. I'm left with that sense I had when I did the course with Marty all those years ago. She's right. Why didn't I see it earlier? This is really important. I want to work with this and learn it and put it into practice. We can love our animals without knowing them as fully as we could. We can care for them without really doing the best for them. Giving ourselves to learn and to keep learning will mean we can become confident and fulfilled owners of happy and healthy alpacas. Who could ask for more? Thanks for being here and hope to see you again soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with someone else you know who would like it. Go spend some time with your alpacas. Bye for now. This is the Alpaca Tribe, and I'm Steve Hetherington. Have a great day.